Hey everyone, you are listening to the Covenant Grace Church podcast. We are a gospel-centered community on mission with Jesus in Port Elizabeth, South Africa. Enjoy the message. Great, thank you everyone. Uh, If you have a Bible, you can open it to John's Gospel. Uh, We're busy preaching through the Gospel of John and we're in chapter 18. I'm going to jump straight into the text. It's a well-known passage. It's about the denial of Jesus, and we're going to read from verse 15 to 27. So you can follow along on the screen or in your own Bible. Here we go. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. By the way, that's John. So John is writing this, and John doesn't want to self-identify at this point. Since that disciple, John, was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, John, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. And they were standing and warming themselves. This is because it was late, late Thursday night. Remember, Jesus had been betrayed and arrested. And now he's been taken to the court. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. So actually in our text today, we're going to look at two denials, not just one. There's actually two denials in the text. Firstly, the denial of Annas, the high priest, and then secondly, the denial of Peter. So firstly, the first one, Annas, the high priest, denies Jesus' justice. He denies Jesus' justice. And so I want to read that part of the the, the text again. It's verses 19 through to 21. The high priest then questioned Jesus 
about his disciples and his teaching. Let's just pause there. You may be a little confused thinking there are two high priests, and they were, but not at the same time. You see, Annas is the father-in-law of Caiaphas, and their roles didn't necessarily overlap, but what we find here is because not only were they both high priests at different times, but they are related as family, Annas is doing a kind of preliminary inquiry, and then he hands him over to Caiaphas. And so some scholars have wrestled with this text and think that there could be some contradiction here, that there may be two Jewish courts going on, but actually it's one. And so we see both Role players, Annas and Caiaphas, holding the offices of high priest at different times, but at overlapping stages of interrogation. And so there was a preliminary interrogation and then a secondary interrogation. Jesus has been brought before a court, a full trial with the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders. And the first question is about his teachings and about his followers in verse 19. Jesus answered them, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I've said nothing in secret. And so the reason for the question is because they are accusing him of heresy, of starting a movement against Judaism. A movement that they are threatened will undermine Judaism. And there is a hint of truth in that. However, the movement Jesus started is not a new movement, but it has always been the heart of what we see taught in the Old Testament. And Jesus makes this abundantly clear. He says, I'm not here to start a new movement in secret He hasn't been teaching in the back rooms of other people's homes. He says, where have I been teaching? I've been teaching in the synagogues. I've been teaching openly. I've been teaching in the temple, not in secret. And if you want to know what I've been teaching, ask the crowds. They all know what I've been teaching. And the reason why they are not satisfied with this answer is because they actually don't really care about what he's been teaching, right? They're just threatened. And so at this point, they have nothing else to say, and so there's no verbal rebuttal to his answer, and so they take matters immediately into their own hands. Verse 22, when he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, is that how you answer the high priest? And Jesus answered, if what I said is wrong, bear witness. And this is the, the reason why he's here being denied justice, because, because there's no witnesses. We all know if you're going to go stand trial, if you're, going to, if you're going to go to a court and be tried, one of the most important aspects is witness testimony. And in fact, Jesus undermines this whole court process because he says, listen, I've taught publicly. And he knows that they know that their law requires two or three witnesses for anything to be upheld. And so what we see unfolding here is that Jesus then responds and says, if what I've said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm not getting a fair trial and you know that. I am being denied justice. 
And unfortunately, the opponents had no intention of providing one. And so this was a mockery of a trial. This was a denial of justice. Because these Jewish leaders had ignored all the rules of Jewish law and of Jewish justice and of Jewish custom. And uh, scholars have done a lot of work in outlining, and they give about 10 reasons why this was a mockery of a trial and wasn't legal. And I'm just going to give you four. One was, they say, because they quickly assembled the court at night. Remember, the betrayal has just happened. There's no time. And so they quickly assemble the court, which is possibly why there's Annas and Caiaphas. And it was illegal for courts to be held at night, especially in the middle of the night. A second reason was that Jesus is being tried during the week of Passover, which was illegal in Jewish law. So another very big reason. Thirdly, Jesus was arrested without proper charges. The only charge was based on a witness of someone who was bribed. Fourthly, Jesus was directly examined and called upon himself to testify without any witnesses. And the reason for all of these, and there are another six, is that the leaders' minds were already made up. They wanted to condemn him. And as a result, they denied him justice. Now, as we're going to see, there's some enormous irony here. Because Jesus is standing there being denied justice. And he knows that one day these two and this Sanhedrin will stand before the judge of all the earth. Where justice will be perfectly met out. And possibly to their detriment. We'll circle back to that later. But let me just say this, that Jesus is being denied justice and it wasn't for his own sake, it was for our sake. And in this denial of justice, we need to acknowledge that Jesus knows exactly how we feel. If you've been denied justice, if you've been denied an opportunity to defend yourself, to give a witness account of who you really think you are, you're in good company and Jesus went through this for us. Jesus was denied justice for our good. And so the good news, therefore, is even in your denial of justice, whatever that might be in your life, it can be turned for good if you look to the Lord. So the first is a denial of justice. The second is Peter's own denial, which is a denial of knowing Jesus. Let's have a look at it again from verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Eyewitnesses. Peter again denied it. And at once a rooster crowed. And so here's a non-threatening servant girl. It's not like the soldiers were interrogating him. Here's a non-threatening servant girl asking him a relatively benign question. And Peter is cowering in fear. He's gripped by fear and he confesses, no, I don't know him. 
three times. And then immediately the rooster crows. And I think we can all imagine that at this point, Peter's heart sinks to the floor. Because this is exactly what Jesus had warned him about. Now, here's what I want you to see. When Jesus warned him about this particular moment, it was in chapter 13 where he warned him. Now we're in chapter 18. You would be mistaken if you think that that was a long time gap. Actually, it's the same day. Chapter 13 was the start of the upper room where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And it was in that moment, in chapter 13, verse 38, where we read this. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. I mean, we could talk about how did Jesus know this, <laughs> but, but that's for another day. And how did he know it was three, not two or four? Well, obviously, because he's the divine son of God, and he knows all things. But here's the astonishing thing. Peter falls in this moment. Peter stumbles having been warned. Having been warned beforehand, not three years ago, but hours ago. He was warned that he would fall in a particular way, in a particular manner, and it happened that same night. Now, before we point fingers at Peter, which there is room for that, we need to see that we are also Peter in the story. And I think it's important for us to see that, 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 that the dreadful weakness of the believer's heart is revealed here. That we should never underestimate the fickleness of our own hearts. I mean, if this had happened to a young believer, we, we might understand it, right? If it had happened to a very young believer, but, but Peter, of all people, Peter had been a disciple of Jesus for three years. He'd heard Jesus preach. I mean, he was on the mount where, where the sermon was preached, on the Sermon on the Mount. Peter was there. Peter was there in the moment of the transfiguration. Peter had listened to Jesus teach with authority and wisdom. Peter was there, and he had seen the miracles. Peter Peter was there when the sick were healed, when the lame were raised, when the blind would see. And yet despite these facts, Peter still denies his Lord, not once, not twice, but three times. And what we see here is that Christians are capable of stumbling. Christians are capable of committing horrible sins. And we don't have to go far in the rest of the Bible, but we can pick on a few characters, can't we? Noah gets drunk. Abraham blatantly lies about his wife. Moses kills an Egyptian. David commits adultery and murder. And here we are looking at Peter's denial. All of these failures by believers reveal to us the frailty that is common to all mankind. 
But the good news is that although Peter stumbled, we know that Jesus had prayed for him, right? We've spoken about this. Chapter 17 was all about the Father keeping those that were given to him. And Peter is one of those who was given to Christ. And Jesus has prayed for Peter that when he stumbles, he would return. And so Peter is not cast out. Peter does not now be undo his status as a child of God. He loses his joy, no doubt, and he loses fellowship with the Lord, but he doesn't lose his salvation. And so we could frame it this way. Is this a betrayal? What's different between Judas and Peter at this point? Is this a betrayal or is this a denial? And the answer is, it's not a betrayal, it's a denial. And there's an important difference. Listen to D.L. Moody. He says this. He says, Judas deliberately betrayed Jesus, knowing it would kill Jesus. Peter wanted to be with Jesus. Where is he? He's at the court. He's gone to be with Jesus. Jesus was arrested, bound, and taken away. But Peter has gone to be, he wanted to be with Jesus, but out of fear, perhaps, or momentary loss of faith, he denied Jesus. Moody says, be careful not to treat every denial as a betrayal. Be merciful with the weaknesses of other disciples. If God remembers that we are but dust, we should also remember that about others. I think it's only helpful that we consider now what, what was it that led to this denial? It's not a betrayal, but it's a denial. And I think the first thing that stands out is overconfidence. And this is where we learn now. Overconfidence. Because earlier in chapter 13 also, Jesus had issued a warning, not only of what would happen, and, and then Peter's response is this in verse 37. Peter says, Lord, I will lay down my life for you, which is a great confession. And we should all do that, willingly and passionately. But we also need to be aware that, but for the grace of God, there go I. There needs to be a check with our passions and with our boasts. There needs to be a humility attached to it where we acknowledge the fickleness of our hearts because when we are put under the pump or when we are put in a position where we have to stand, we might stumble if we are overconfident in our own strength. And so I think Peter's denial serves as a strong warning to all of us believers that that Peter in this moment was far too confident in his own strength, in his own ability, in his own gifting, in his own personality. The second reason I think that led to Peter's denial was also the fear of man. I think that's fairly obvious that in this moment Peter feared man, maybe he feared embarrassment, maybe he feared ridicule, Maybe he feared loss of position, approval. I think this is a big deal for us today as Christians 
that, 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 that people in the world will approve of us. But, but here's the truth, church. We will not always be approved of. As followers of Jesus, we need to be ready for ridicule. And maybe also not just a loss of position or a loss of status, but perhaps even for Peter, it, it looked like a loss of his life. If he confessed to knowing Christ, would he too be arrested and potentially lose his life? The fear of man had gripped him. Thirdly, prayerlessness. When we look at the other Gospels, what do we read in these Gospels? Well, we read that not only was Jesus warned, not only was Peter overconfident, but actually Jesus said this to them in Matthew 26. Jesus said to Peter and the disciples, watch and pray, right? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. And what did the disciples do that night? They slept, right? And I think the lesson here is, is for Peter. Peter thought, well, listen, I need my sleep more than I need to pray. And I think the lesson is not only prayer and the importance of prayer, but all spiritual disciplines. If we take the attitude towards spiritual disciplines Bible reading, fellowship, community, church, worship, prayer. These things need to be top priority. If we're going to stand in a world and in a culture that's going to press us with their opinions and their ideologies, we need to be grounded and secure in our identity, not only individually, but corporately as the body of Christ. We cannot be passive when it comes to our spiritual disciplines. They need to be woven into the fabric of our lives. They need to be part of what we do. The rhythm of your life as a Christian changes when we turn and follow Jesus. We are committed to spiritual disciplines. How do you think these athletes achieve the goal of finishing races when they do all you see is the, the crown of glory, but behind the scenes there is discipline, enormous amounts of discipline, so that they can run the race and finish strong. Christian, you will not run the race and finish strong unless you apply spiritual disciplines. And I can't do it for you. This is one moment that is massively important, but there are others that we need to hold on to. And so let me close with two last thoughts. The two thoughts are one to do with Peter and one to do with Jesus. And the first one is, yes, Peter acted sinfully, and yes, Peter acted fearfully, right? But I just want to say that even though Peter was a royal mess, he stuck close to Jesus. Isn't that amazing? He stuck close to Jesus. He didn't run away when Jesus was arrested. What did he do? He went to the court. Yes, he was fickle, and yes, he doubted, but at least he stuck close to Jesus, right? Isn't that what matters? And no matter how much mess you get into, and no matter how much of a mess you make 
perhaps, with your life. Stick close to Jesus, because that's how we get restored. And we don't have time to go to John chapter 21, because we'll get there in a few weeks' time. But in John chapter 21, we see this beautiful interaction between Jesus and Peter, and how he mirrors the threefold denial with the threefold restoration. Peter, do you love me? But Peter stuck close to Jesus. And I, I, think, I don't think Peter ever forgot that night. I don't think he ever forgot it for as long as he lived. Imagine every morning in that culture, every morning when Peter woke up and he heard the rooster crow. Every morning it reminded him, not only of the denial, but of the grace of God and the love of Jesus. And what does it remind him of? And what does it remind us of? Well, it should remind us of this, that Jesus didn't come into the world to rescue bold and courageous and fearless saints. Jesus came into the world to die for the weak and the impulsive and the fickle and the doubters. For us. For people like Peter and for people like you and me. So even though he messed up, I'm going, hey, Pete, you stuck close to Jesus. And then lastly, I want us just to think about Jesus in this moment. I want us to think about the incredible thing that he is going through in this moment. In the story, Jesus is taken prisoner. Jesus is led away bound like a criminal to appear before a wicked and unjust judge, the high priests, knowing all too well that one day, like I said, they would too stand before the judgment seat. And Jesus knows all these things. He knows exactly what's going on, and yet he willingly is treated as a criminal with zero resistance. I mean, think about it with me. Jesus could have easily willed his deliverance. He's already displayed that in the garden when, when he said, I am he, and they fall over an opening of the window, just a glimpse of his glory, and they are flawed. Jesus in this moment could have easily commanded confusion into that court. And the enemies would have been so confused they wouldn't have known what they were doing and possibly overcome. And what we see in the story is the love of Jesus for sinners is beyond comprehension. Because think of it, to submit to suffering when you have no power to resist is impressive, right? If you submit to suffering when you've got zero power to do anything about it, that's pretty impressive. But to submit to ill treatment voluntarily when you've got everything in your power to divert it, what is it that carries him through? And the only thing that carries him through is this love to do the Father's will for your sake and for mine. And so Jesus willingly submits himself to being led away like a criminal. He, he's bound and he's beaten. Listen, not because he can't help himself. 
but because he has his heart set on saving sinners. His heart is set on bearing our sin and our punishment. Jesus is led away like a prisoner so that we one day could walk free. Jesus was denied justice and willingly condemned so that we could be declared innocent. The just for the unjust. So that he might bring us to God. Now you might be thinking to yourself, I'm still not quite getting why this is good news. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, you know what, I've never really denied Jesus. You know, I've, I've, I've not been close to as bad as Pete. Really, do you really want to go there? Please don't go there. Because you may not have denied him with your lips. But we, I promise you, including me, have denied him not once, not twice, not three times, but thousands of times with our thoughts, with our deeds, with our hearts. Lord, we have denied you. But you went through all of this to save sinners like me. You were led away, not because you couldn't help yourself. No, no, of course he could help himself. But the reason why was because his heart was set on you and me. Isn't it incredible that Jesus is a, a God of repeat offenders? I won't ask you to put your hand up. Repeat offenders. All of us, right? But Jesus has come for repeat offenders. Don't run from him. That doesn't work. Don't run. Stick close to him. Stick close to Jesus. Receive him. Embrace him. Confess your sin. And receive forgiveness. Amen. Let's pray together. We're just going to pray, brother. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace and your goodness to us. Lord, we want to pray for your, your spirit to work in our hearts. Father, that you would do something deep in our hearts, that we would know this grace and this mercy. What a Savior you are, Jesus. Thank you that you would have willingly submitted to this process. And all of it for us. The just for the unjust. Thank you that you took our place. So that you would be our perfect savior. Our perfect substitute. And Lord we confess that we are far too often like Peter. We confess that we have denied you. Maybe in word, but definitely in thought and in deed. But we run to you again today. And we thank you that you are open. You've opened the way. Thank you that you are willing to receive us. And Lord, we do want to confess our sins. We are sinners in need of saving. But we thank you that you are a mighty Savior. 
Thank you that you went to the cross all the way and you drank the cup, the cup of the Father, all the way to the bitter end. Thank you, Jesus, for your amazing grace and your incredible love. We receive it afresh today. Amen.